Shalom. This is Gamliel Shmalo. Isaiah 49 presents a dramatic turn in the passages of consolation and encouragement that we have been reading since chapter 40. Until now, Isaiah has been urging us not to give up hope after the Babylonian destruction. The proclamation of Cyrus has called home the Jews after 70 years of exile. Having established roots in Babylon and Persia, we might think such a return is impossible. Yet for the creator of the heaven and earth, nothing is impossible. We might think that God has given up on us, but we are told that the covenant is unbreakable. If the Jews in Persia and Babylon needed comfort and encouragement after only 70 years of exile in a neighboring land, how much more do we require comfort and encouragement after our 2,000 years of dispersion to all points of the globe and unimaginable persecution? That is now Isaiah's challenge in our chapter 49, as he calls to islands and distant countries, a code for the furthest reaches of exile. All recorded prophecies have some eternal message, but here, perhaps for the first time, Isaiah is speaking to us directly. So if you ever wanted to know what a true prophet would say to our generation, Isaiah 49 is your chance. Isaiah begins by telling us that his divinely ordained life mission, as indicated by his name Ishayahu, is to prophesy Yeshuot v'nechamot, salvation and comfort. But don't expect fluffy platitudes from Isaiah. He may be promising redemption, but verse 2 tells us that his words are like both a dagger and an arrow. He expects, he expects us to do some hard work of self-improvement to earn our redemption. Like a dagger and an arrow, his words will have a sharp edge that cut the flesh. Malbim points out that a dagger is used at close range. Isaiah spent much of his career prodding his contemporaries. An arrow, however, is shot at a distant target. When Isaiah shoots his words like arrows, know that he is aiming to a distant time and to distant places. Isaiah is aiming these words at us. Will he have more luck with us at a distance than he had with his contemporaries? He was certainly disappointed by Uziahu and upset with Ahaz and frustrated by Chizkiahu. But Isaiah reports that God himself promised him ultimate vindication. Perhaps it would take a long time to return Israel to its physical land and spiritual stature. But in the interim, while Israel slowly absorbed Isaiah's message, the nations of the world would come to embrace it, in theory, if not in practice. It is here, in verse 6, that we learn that Isaiah's prophecy is not just for Israel. His message of salvation is destined to reach, quote, the ends of the earth. Repeating the famous phrase introduced in chapter 42, Isaiah reports that he is to become Lord Goyim, a light for the nations. If today, Isaiah's vision of world peace, from chapter 2, is inscribed on the wall of the United Nations, that is a fulfillment of our Isaiah 49. The Rosh Hashiva Volazhin, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Berlin, pointed out in his commentary to Bereshit 47, that most of Jewish national history has been spent in exile. Why would we be destined to such an unnatural state? The Nitziv concludes that only by being dispersed among the nations would we be able to fulfill our universal Abrahamic educational mission. Only in exile could we be an effective light to the nations. But how effective can we be if we are scattered and scorned? 
Our philosophy might theoretically inspire. It might be engraved on the wall of an institution that rarely lives up to its high ideals. But so long as we are a nation described in verse 7, quote, whom man despises, whom nations abhor, a servant of rulers, can our ideals do more than just vaguely inspire? Can they transform? Isaiah 49 suggests that they cannot. Ultimately, the ideas that we have planted among the nations, like seeds, will only fully sprout, grow, and bear fruit in a time of redemption when the entire world can see that our ideas are not just ideals, but they are also a way of life, both practical and holy. A return to our land is, therefore, a crucial component of this universalist message. Ironically, Jewish nationalism under God, a Brit Am, is essential for holy humanism. So God promises to protect us in exile, to liberate us from bondage, and to walk us home on raised highways. Verse 14 begins Zion's response to this promise of ultimate redemption, and you may be familiar with it as the Haftorah for Parsha Dekev. In short, Zion is incredulous. After centuries, millennia, in which Jerusalem has set desolate and barren, she cannot accept the hopeful prophecy. She feels first abandoned and then completely forgotten. Isaiah responds in what I find to be one of the most beautiful visions in our book. Can a woman forget her baby or disown the child of her womb? Though she might forget, I never could forget you. In other words, God says, there's not a chance that I would forget you. Just as a mother can never forget a child, even if he is rebellious and far away, so I could never forget you. In fact, even if one in a million mothers might forget her son, I, Hashem, will never forget you. He continues comforting the personified Jerusalem. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Swiftly, your children are coming. Those who ravaged and ruined you shall leave you. Look up all around you and see. They are assembled, are, are come to you. As I live, declares Hashem, you shall don them like jewels. Deck yourself with them like a bride. As for your ruins and desolate places and your land laid waste, you shall soon be crowded with settlers, while destroyers stay far from you. The children you thought you had lost shall yet say in your hearing, This place is too crowded for me. Make room for me to settle. These sentiments are familiar to those of us who have had the privilege of being able to spend some time in Jerusalem, studying, working, looking for an apartment. Today, some 2,300 years after Yeshayahu ben Amotz, Jerusalem is teeming with people. The land of Israel is welcoming her children back home, and thank God, it sometimes seems a bit crowded. The images here of a mother who never forgets, of children returning from afar with diverse accents, ways of dress, and hairstyles, makes me think of a family homecoming. The grandmother is at once proud, but also a bit disoriented by the unusual diversity. The grandmother may speak Yiddish or Ladino, and here come the young people speaking fluent English or Spanish or Amharic or Hebrew. And she wonders, who are all these strange kids? Until they embrace her and call her grandma or abuela or ayati or safta.
Isaiah continues, And you will say to yourself, Who bore these for me when I was bereaved and barren, exiled and disdained? By whom then were these reared? I was left all alone, and where have these been? Thus said Hashem Elohim, I will raise my hand to nations and lift up my flag to peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosoms and carry your daughters on their backs. Kings shall tend your children, their queens shall serve you as nurses. If Grandma Jerusalem will have a hard time recognizing her teeming descendants, it will not just be because of the strange languages, clothing, and hairstyles. The vision of Isaiah is not just that we will come home, but we will come home after having been tended by kings and nursed by queens, having studied in the finest universities on the planet, having worked in the most cutting-edge laboratories and industries, having served as heads of companies and at the highest levels of government, the Jewish people will not only have sown seeds of righteousness and justice among the nations, but we will also be carried home with treasures of knowledge and human solidarity, inspired by Isaiah's vision and sustained for millennia by his words.